Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We're in uh, part 18, 18 weeks we've been in the book of Acts. And if you kind of remember, the, the book of Acts is really a historical account of the growth of the church from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And the first six chapters, they don't leave Jerusalem. That spans about six years. And so the church is growing and tons of Jews are getting saved and meeting Jesus, but it never got beyond that. And then something happened in Acts chapter seven. If you've been with us through this whole study, you realize that persecution began to come to the church. And now the gospel is spreading and it's, it's going to Samaria. And in chapter seven through nine, we see all these Samaritans getting saved. And then something happened last week. Last week, we, Acts 10 tells us that the Gentiles at Cornelius' house, they, they meet Jesus and they get filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak in other tongues. And it's this thing's like growing. And, and I, I just want to jump right in today. So if you have your Bibles, your, your devices, you can look on the screen. All the notes in front of me are on the screen. We're going to be in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, when you get there, say, I'm there. Acts chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 19. I'll read you seven verses. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Everybody say Antioch. Speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas, everybody say Barnabas, to Antioch. When he came, he saw the grace of God. He was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and of faith. And it says, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas, say Barnabas one more time, went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him back to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. We, we were introduced for the second time to a man named Barnabas. And I just want to preach a message to you this morning simply entitled, Becoming Barnabas. Becoming Barnabas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the reading of your word. God, we pray today you, you change us, Lord. Change us from the inside out. Lord, today we, we also repent for the awful play of the LSU Tigers last night. <laughs> Lord, we do believe in miracles. Please do something about this team. And Lord, if it so be your will today, Lord, let the saints win. Lord, they're playing a team that doesn't even have a name. The Washington football team. But Lord, these are your saints. The saints are all over the Bible. Be with us today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Who that? I'm ready for the saints. I got my black on today. Got my gold checks. I'm ready. Becoming Barnabas. Becoming 
Barnabas. Becoming Barnabas. Honest question. Have you ever wanted to become or be like someone else? That's a question you can answer. Maybe it was as a kid there was someone that you looked up to that you were enamored with that you would occasionally find yourself trying to emulate this person. Maybe it was the way they talked. Maybe it was a catchphrase. Maybe it was the way they walked. I I don't know, but it was somebody that you looked up to that you tried to be, that you tried to be like. Maybe it was an older sibling. It was a, it was a big brother. It was a big sister. Maybe Maybe it was a superhero that you would get alone in your room and you would put on the cape and you, were, you would pretend that you were Spider-Man or you would pretend that you were Batman. Maybe it was a, a character for, from a TV show. I don't know, but, but come on, honest. They, you can go back as a child and, and you can remember that there was somebody that you wanted to become, that so, there was somebody that you wanted to become like. Uh, for me, there was one guy my whole childhood that, that I wanted to become. And, and I remember at, at eight years old, I got my first poster of this. How many of you remember when you had posters on your wall. By the time I was 13, I had 21 posters of the same dude on my, my, my wall. And, and it's everything that I wanted to be and aspire was like him. In fact, in 1991, I was, I was 13 years old. Gatorade made a commercial about this guy. And when they released this commercial, it encompassed every emotion that I felt. And so I went to YouTube from 1991 and I found this commercial and I want them to crank it up because I'm going to take a stroll down memory lane. If you, if you remember this commercial, I just want you to sing along with it. But I want to take you back to 1991 to 13-year-old Nick. Here it is. Turn it up. Sometimes I dream that he is me. Got to see that's how I dream to be. Bro, like Mike, if I can be like Mike, I mean, the the, the lyrics was me. Sometimes I dream that he is me. You got to see that's how I dream to be. The way I groove, the way I move, like Mike, if I could be like Mike. Y'all, I would do everything like Mike. I would walk like Mike. I would talk like Mike. I wore number 23 like Mike. I would hold the edge of my shorts (laughs) like Mike. I chewed gum like Mike. 
I stuck out my, my tongue like Mike. I did everything like Mike except play <laughs> like Mike. I would do what Mike did to try to become who Mike was. When I was a kid, I wanted to be like Mike. But the more I read the book of Acts, as an adult, I want to become and be like Barnabas. I think everybody in this room ought to aspire to be like Barnabas. And I know what some of you are thinking, like, why, why would I want to be like anybody else? Am, am, am I not my, my own person? I mean, did God not make me uniquely me? Well, 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 of course he did. And though that's true, there are, however, characteristics and attributes and patterns of those who are further along in their faith that paint an example for us to emulate. There's some things in other people that I see that I don't have. And when I look at their lives, I say, I got to have some of that in my life. And, and it's easy to look at the Bible and say, well, you know, God made me uniquely me. But didn't Paul say in 1 Corinthians, be imitators of me as I am of Christ? Hebrews 13, 7 said, remember your leaders, though, who spoke to you the word of God. He says, consider the outcome of their life. That's why I love reading about dead people. Because you know how their life ended. He says, look at the guys and the outcome of their life. And if, if they have a desired outcome, look what he says. He says, imitate their faith. Hebrews 6, 12 says, do not be sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit their promises. And so what I'm trying to say is, though you are uniquely you, Scripture does tell us to imitate those who set a godly example. And I think Barnabas is one of those guys who I believe we should all emulate. Y'all tracking with me. Let's unpack this text. It says this in Acts chapter 11. It says, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as, it tells us three places. It says Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So when the believers are persecuted and scattered, the, the gospel reaches Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. I, I, the text is going to take us to Antioch. So I want to, I just kind of want to talk about Antioch for just a second. Everybody say Antioch. Antioch was founded in about 300 BC and it was the capital of the Roman province of, of Syria. That's where Antioch was. Now this is 2000 years ago. Antioch was this huge city. In fact, in, in 39 A.D. and 40 A.D. when this text was written, Antioch had about half a million people living with, inside its city walls. That's a pretty big city for 2,000 years ago. But, but it wasn't just a big city. I mean, culturally, I want you to envision Antioch as a place. It was, it was like Las Vegas uh, meets Amsterdam uh, meets New Orleans at night on steroids. I mean, it was uh, sexual perversion. There was temple prostitution. Uh, gross immorality. Uh, Stanley Tucson, a great theologian, said this about Antioch. He said, Antioch was so corrupt, it was impacting Rome that was more than 1,300 miles away. So I want you to get this idea of this, this hedonistic, perverse, wicked place, and its negativity is literally reaching the world. 
uh, people would go to Antioch like people here go to Vegas. Like what stays in Vegas happens in Vegas, stays in Vegas. They, they would go to Antioch because they know they can get away with things in Antioch that they couldn't get away with elsewhere. So it's this hedonistic, perverse, wicked place. But in the middle of this dark city, God was doing something. And that's why verse 20 says, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, those are the Greeks, and he says they were preaching them the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And look what it says about this dark city. Then a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So we see that God is powerfully moving in Antioch. And we see these Greek-speaking people that are coming to know Jesus. They're turning to the Lord. Now, when, so all these people who were hedonistic and immoral and perverse start hearing uh, that, uh, about the gospel. It spreads. It would be like if, if you heard all of a sudden, well, you know what, um, Las Vegas, uh, there's revival breaking out in Las Vegas, or there's revival breaking out in Amsterdam, and, and all the bars are shutting down and they're turning into churches. How many of that, that word would spread quick? So that word's spreading back to Jerusalem, and it says the report come, came back. And in fact, in verse 22, it says the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and it says, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So they get this word that this hedonistic place People are getting saved left and right. There's revival breaking out in Sin City. And so their, their conclusion is we got to do something about it. We got to send somebody over there. And the guy they send is a guy named Barnabas. Everybody say Barnabas. We, we, we've mentioned him just, just a few times through this book of Acts just in passing. But do you remember Barnabas? We, we were first introduced to him in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. I'm going to take you back there. It says this. It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles, apostles called Barnabas, which means, I love the meaning of his name, son of encouragement. His name literally means encouragement. It, it's who he is. It's, it's what he does. So, so Barnabas goes to Antioch, and it says this in verse 23. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when they had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it says this, for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. Now watch this. The first time the word Christian is used, this is now 12 years after the death of Jesus. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Little Christ. They're imitating Christ so much. To these people who've never heard the gospel, they say, this must be what Christ was like, these are little Christ. That's what Christian means. And it was 12 years later that the term Christian was first used. But it says, when he's in Antioch, he meets with Saul. And it says, him and Saul worked together for an entire year. Can you imagine Saul, the preacher, the man of bold faith, and Barnabas, the encourager together for a whole year? I mean, what a, what a dream team. The, the boldness of Saul and the encouragement of Barnabas, I mean, Saul would probably tear them down with truth. Barnabas would build them back up with grace. By the way, we need both. Y'all know that. John 1.14 says that Jesus is full of both grace and truth. You need them both in your life. Don't let somebody tell you it's all truth or it's all grace. No, no, baby, it's right there in the middle. You need all of both of them. So, so that's, that's who Barnabas is. He's full of grace. He's an encourager. And so I, I want to I spend the rest of our time just unpacking what makes Barnabas tick. What, what can we take away from the life of Barnabas? What, what can we learn 
from this guy named Barnabas. How can we become more like Barnabas? I think the more you learn about him, the more you're going to like him. In fact, uh, Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, really likes Barnabas. Luke admires him. You go to verse 24, it's what Luke tells us about Barnabas. For he was a, a good man. I want somebody to say that about me when I die. Man, that was just a good man. He says he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. So, so let's look at the goodness of Barnabas. What is the root of that goodness? And what fruit does that root produce? By the way, every person in this room, you've got some roots, and those roots produce fruits. And a lot of times we try to pick off the fruits that we don't like without ever getting down and digging up the roots. If you want to change the fruit, you've got to change the root. How many of you understand what I'm saying? Okay. So let, let's go back to verse 24. If you notice in verse 24, there's two assertions here about Barnabas. First of all, he was a good man. Everybody say good man. That's one assertion. And he was full of the Holy Spirit. That's the other assertion. So I just want you to see this. Good man. Everybody say good man. Full of the Holy Spirit. Let's do it again. Good man. Full of the Holy Spirit. My question is, do these even relate together? The, the Apostle Paul unla unlocks the relationship between goodness and the Holy Spirit. He's full of goodness, but he's also full of the Holy Spirit. Look at what Galatians 5, 22 says. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So Paul tells us that goodness is the fruit of of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. You don't get the Holy Spirit because you're good. The Holy Spirit takes over your life, and when you yield to him, he makes you good. So when we yield to the Holy Spirit, he starts a process in our lives that produces fruit, and the fruit ought to be kindness, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. That's what ought to come out. That's the fruit that you produce. The Holy Spirit is the root. The fruit that comes out is love, joy, peace, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. How many of you understand that? If you don't get the right root, you don't get the right fruit. You can't plant an apple tree and try to get oranges. It doesn't work that way. But it is a process. It's, it's the process that produces fruit. How many of you understand that? It takes process to produce fruit. You, you can't plant an apple tree on Monday and get apples on Tuesday. There is a process. So here's the process in our life. When you get saved, when Jesus enters to your life, you get the helper, the advocate, the paraclete. You get the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. That, that, that's what happens by trusting the gospel. That's what Galatians 5, 2 tells us. That when you get the Holy Spirit, you get it by trusting through faith of the gospel. Now, when I got saved 23 years ago, the Holy Spirit got downloaded into me. So I had the root. Everybody say the root. But I didn't wake up on my first day of Christianity the next day walking in the fullness of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. I didn't have any self-control. I dipped for like another seven years. I just couldn't kick it. I wanted to, but, but what, what I'm saying is there's a process to this. So what happened to me was I had to be placed in seasons that would produce atmospheres that would help bear fruit in my life. 
You don't just wake up with joy. The only way for joy to be produced in my life was for me to be put in situations where in the natural, joy should have been absent. That's the only way I can have supernatural joy. You, you don't just wake up with, with, with peace. See, the only way peace can really be produced in your life is for us to be put in situations where in the natural there is no peace. So it's when you get the call that mom's got cancer, when you get the call that he ran out, when, when you get the call where there should be a void and an absence of peace because your roots in the Holy Spirit went down so long, you can't help, help but wait a minute, here's some fruit that I didn't see before. Are you tracking with me? So in the life of Barnabas, there's the root of the Holy Spirit, but the fruit of that root was goodness. So if the fruit of goodness was prevalent in the life of Barnabas, there had to be something that helped produce it. Okay, I want to give you four lessons I think we can all learn from Barnabas to help produce goodness. How many of you would like to be called a good man or a good woman? Man, that's a good Christian. That's a good old boy. That's a good girl. Okay, let me help you. I want to give you four things that I've learned from reading about the life of Barnabas that help produce goodness. Write this first one down. Barnabas had a sacrificial care for others. He had a sacrificial care for others. Look, look, look at verse 22. It says, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas. They sent Barnabas. When the apostles and the elders and the leaders and the deacons decided that they need to send help to the Gentile believers in Antioch, they, they sent Barnabas. Y'all, they could have sent anybody. But they sent Barnabas. Why? Because Barnabas had earned a reputation for caring for the underdog. Barnabas had earned the reputation of caring for the outsider, for caring for the unlovable, for caring for the left out, for caring for the broke, busted, and disgusted. It's, it's who he was, for example, in Acts chapter 9, when, when, when we see the conversion of Saul, the, 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 the former Pharisee, the persecutor, the whole church was afraid of him and didn't want to have anything to do with him. There was only one dude that was willing to stand up for Saul. Y'all know who it was? Barnabas. Here it is. Uh, in Acts chapter 9, it says, and we, when he, Saul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. He's like, let me be part of y'all's church. But they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. They're like, yo, this dude is undercover. He's like a secret agent. He just pretended to be a Christian so he can come up to our church service and kill us all. That, that's what they thought. They, they were afraid of him. But it says this in verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord. He spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Listen to me. Ain't nobody wanted Saul. Stay over there, Saul. There's another church in Karen Crow. Go to that church, Saul. Go over there. And Barnabas said, wait, 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 wait. I'm going to vouch for this dude. I'm going to put my name on the line, and I'm going to speak up. Why? Because I have a care for people. The only one who would stand up for, for Saul was Barnabas. Why? Because he has a sacrificial care for others. It's what he is known by. His name even says it. 
Let's go back to his name one more time. I'm going to read to you. Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Y'all, his name wasn't Barnabas. Look at it. It was Joey. Jojo. Nobody knows Jojo. Hey, I'm going over to Jojo's house. What? Barnabas. Oh, 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 yeah. They didn't even know his name because they, he was the apostle. The apostles called him Barnabas. His real name was Joseph, but what they called him was, no, that's not Joey. That's son of encouragement. That's who he is. He he must have encouraged everybody. It's who he was. Y'all, I remember back in college, I was working at the airport in in Lafayette, and I worked with this guy. Um, This guy had the biggest smile. I mean, you ever see those people, man? I mean, it's like raining outside, coming in soaking wet. I mean, he got laid off. Just smiling. And, and I didn't even know, I can't even, I was trying to remember his name today, and I couldn't even remember his name. And the reason I couldn't remember his name is because everybody called him happy. It's like, happy coming to work today? Man, I hope so. I mean, they would, they would page him over the, the, the you know, the, 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 the intercom system. Boop. Uh, happy line two, happy line two. I can't even remember the guy's name. People didn't remember Joey. They didn't remember Jojo. They didn't remember Joseph. He was encourager, son of encouragement. My question is, how many people did Joseph have to encourage for him to, for people to forget his name and call him son of encouragement? How many smiles did he have to bring to people's faces? How many days did he turn around. I mean, how many thoughtful deeds did he do? He is Barnabas, the encourager. So the the church in Jerusalem sends the encourager. They didn't send Joseph. We don't need a Joseph in Antioch. We need an encourager. We need somebody who's going to encourage. You know what this community needs? You know what this nation needs? I'm just looking. I don't even, some, I haven't watched the news in seven weeks. They're about to call me happy. <laughs> Why? Because every time you, you turn it on, it's, it's discouraging. And people are looking at problems and politics and issues and wars and pandemics. And people are so Discouraged, And I'm thinking maybe the church in Jerusalem had it right that they don't need a Joseph. They don't need a Myron. They don't need a Pat. What, what, what Opelousas need is, is some encouragers. Encouragement. It's, it's what he was known for. Let's send the encourager. Encouragement was what he was known for. As I was writing this message this week, I felt like the Holy Spirit asked me this question. Nick, what are you known for? I don't know, Lord. What, what, what are you known for? O-Town? I mean, I know some Christians that when people bring up their names, encouraging isn't one of my thoughts. I mean, it's sometimes people say somebody's name and the first thing that comes to my mind is Mooch. Help me. 
I mean, you, you know some brothers and sisters, they don't come to this church, maybe they go to another church, but they bring up their name and the first thing you think of is jerk. Negative. Complainer. Mean, I mean, we can fill in the blank all day. And you know what, I, I, I want people, I want to be like Barnabas and when people think of me, they're like, man, that dude cares about people. That was... Barnabas, so the church sends Barnabas to Antioch to encourage and establish the new Gentile church. Why would they send Barnabas? Because he's going to Gentile territory. The Gentiles are outsiders, and the church decides we need someone who would sacrificially care for everybody, not just their own. So let's send Barnabas. Barnabas had a sacrificial care for everyone. Number two, Write this down. Number two, he was obedient to use his specific gift to build a church. His gift. Watch verse 22. Here's where the obedience comes in. Verse 22 ends with these words, and they sent Barnabas, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Verse 23 begins with these words, when he came. So they send him, he comes. That's obedience. There was a need. Antioch needs encouragement and care, when he like a pastoral care pastor. The church saw in Barnabas the necessary gifts, so they sent him and he went. That's obedience to use what God has given him to help build the kingdom. In fact, the rest of Barnabas' life, we, we see this being played out. At the beginning of chapter 13, Barnabas is praying with some of the believers and teachers in Antioch, and here's what happens. It says this, set apart they say this, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off again. So throughout the book of Acts, we see Barnabas yielding to the Holy Spirit to go and do whatever he's asked to do by using his gift of encouragement. My question is, are we doing the same thing? Are we using our gifts to do whatever God wants us to do to build his kingdom? Don't think I'm the only one in this building with a gift. I'll be real honest. I'm a one-trick pony. All I can do is preach. But do you know that the gifts that you have are probably even more valuable than my gift? I preach. That's my gift. Man, but some of you, man, you're good with your hands. You can fix stuff. That's your gift. Some of you, you you're able to teach. Some of you, you you're, you're musically inclined. Some of you, you're, you're artistic. Some of you, you're, you're hospitable. Some of you, you can cook and I can eat. Let's connect. <laughs> I don't know what your gift is. I don't know what your wiring is, but God gave it to you for a purpose and it's not for you, boo. Watch this. Well, look at what Peter says. First Peter chapter four. Each of you, by the way, that's each of you too. Each of you. Each of you should use. I'm just a cook. I just paint houses. I'm just good with my hands. I fix cars. I'm a teacher at the school. No, no, no. Each of you use whatever gift you have which means you didn't do it yourself. It was a gift. Okay. 
to serve yourself. Is that what it says? Oh, but I'm good with my hands. I'm going to build me a big old business. I'm going to make lots of money. No, 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 you missed it. That may be the byproduct of your gift, but that's not why God gave it to you. Okay. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, to serve others, to go to Antioch, to serve others as faithful stewards of what God's grace is in its various forms. Each of you should use whatever gift. Now watch this. If anyone, that's me, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Y'all, that's a lot of pressure on me. I'm just saying. But if you keep reading, it says this. If anyone, wait a second. It only says two things. He says, those who preach and those who serve, it's like he's lumping them in the same category. It's interesting, isn't it? Preaching and serving, serving and preaching. See, serving reaches just as many people as preaching does. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Which means this, when we're obedient to use the gifts that you just think is your personality. No, that's not your personality. That's the way that God hardwired you in your mother's womb. I knew your inmost parts, says the Lord, that I formed you together in your mother's womb. I put those personality traits in there. I put that gift mix in there, not for you to build your own kingdom and have a nice house with a picket fence and a dog. That's not why I did it. That is the byproduct of that. But I did that inside of you so that when you got around some people who needed some building in your life, you would be there to use your hands, not to build something for yourself, but to build something for the Lord. Whoever uses the gifts should do so to serve others. And when we serve others, it's God who is glorified. Are you tracking with me? So here's what we learned from Barnabas so far. Number one, he had a sacrificial care for others. Number two, his obedience to you specific gift to build the church. Number three, he had the ability to see God's grace in an imperfect church. Barnabas saw the grace of God in an imperfect church. By the way, this is an imperfect church. We serve a perfect God, but we're all jacked up in some way, shape, or form. I am imperfect. You are imperfect. This place is full of imperfect people. But verse 23 says, when he came to Antioch, he saw the grace of of God. It is part of Barnabas's goodness that he had eyes to look beyond the imperfections of the church and its believers that had just been planted and only see the grace of God. Be careful that you use Christianity through the scope of your brother or sister next to you. Because I would hate for them to view Christianity through the scope of you. And I see it all the time. Oh, let me just tell you about that church. They got so-and-so that goes to that church. If they let her in, I bet that pastor does the same thing. I mean, we've all seen it, right? Barnabas had the ability to see through the eyes of grace. Watch this. 
When he came, verse 23, and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. I love this, that Barnabas exhorts every last one of them. He encouraged them all. He saw grace in all of them. Think about how hard that is. Y'all, this is a brand new church in a nasty city. Y'all think these folks have some baggage? I mean, some of them were at the club blacking that thing up the night before. Let's keep it real. Some of them, they still cussing. They still drinking. Some of them haven't been sanctified in their mind yet. These are all new believers. They didn't have it all together. They still had some issues. But when Barnabas looks at them, he looked at them through the eyes of grace, not the eyes of harshness and condemnation. Are you tracking with me? When we look at others who don't have it all together yet, what's our point of view? Are we looking through the eyes of grace? Or are we looking through the eyes of condemnation? Do we see living embers of grace that we can fan into flame? Or do we only see the ashes of imperfection? See, one will draw compassion in you, the other condemnation. One will say, I know they're not where they need to be yet, but my, 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 the Holy Spirit is working. Maybe I can play a part in their life to encourage what's on the inside of them, the deposit that God made. I know there's the root of the Holy Spirit. Maybe I can help fan this into flame. The others will look through the eyes of condemnation like, ugh, that's nasty. Barnabas saw grace. Everybody say grace. What, what, what is grace? I know we, we, we sing about it and it's amazing. Here's what... Grace is. Grace is the unmerited favor toward us and his empowering presence within us. It's, it, it's, it's both. It's his generous disposition. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2.8, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man would boast. Which simply means that none of us got saved by our own ingenuity. You, you didn't get saved by your own good looks. You didn't get saved because you had enough money in the bank account. You didn't get saved because you did enough works. You didn't get saved on your own merit, and you didn't get saved by what you did. We are saved by grace through faith. Everybody say grace. grace. Now say faith. faith. Notice the correlation between grace and faith. I love how Pastor John Piper says it. Pastor John Piper says this, faith lives by grace. Meaning you can't even have faith without extending grace. In other words, grace is the light. It's free and available everywhere. But faith is the window that lets the light in and shines. See, what faith does, if you're a man of faith, if you're a woman of faith, 
You, you go around looking for grace. If not, you're going to be the most miserable, harsh, condemning person just looking for the negative. And you'll say things like, well, I'm just speaking the truth. No, you're, you're being ungraceful. You lack grace. Do you remember who you were? With that big old plank in your eye. And all you see is the speck in your brother's eye. See, faith spends this time looking for grace. It's, faith is like the radar, the screen, the radar screen. And, and it's, just, it's, it's trying to pick up just, oh, there it is. there's some grace over there, man. There's some grace in that dude's life. I know he ain't got it all together, but man, thank God the Holy Spirit is working, you know. It's like Kevin and Tommy's little metal detectors. You know, they go around playing in the, the fields to hunt coins. If, 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 if faith just gets near a tiny little fragment, it's the, there it is. There's some, there's some grace hidden under here. Barnabas was able to see the slightest form of grace in all of the believers' lives. Is this making sense? Okay, I'm gonna give you one more point, then you can go home. Number four. Are you encouraged yet? I'm about to encourage you. He encouraged and promoted spiritual growth. It's who he is. He's Barnabas. The encourager. Look, look what it says. And he exhorted. Y'all know what exhorted means? It means encouraged. He did who he was. He exhorted all, all of them, all of the believers, them all to remain faithful with the Lord. Now we see his gift coming into full circle. He exhorted. He's the encourager. So we see the encourager is now encouraging. What does he encourage them to do? He encourages them to remain faithful. By the way, that's what grace does. Grace is not some cheap perfume to cover the stench of your skin, your, your, your sin. I know a lot of people, I'm covered by grace. I'm just going to go out and do whatever I want and I got grace. That's not what grace is. Grace is not just the unmerited favor to you. It's his empowering presence in you as well. So, so when you get grace, something happens. Here's what Titus says. This is, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all the world. That's how I got saved. It's the grace of God. But it also teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present days. So the Bible tells us that great grace teaches us no. No to what? To ungodliness and worldliness. So watch this. Grace just doesn't cover our past sins. It's the power to not commit them again. So, so what Barnabas is saying, he says, and I see some grace that's been sprinkled in your life. And I know that God has forgiven those sins because you live in this nasty city called Antioch. And I know that you've done some things that have been ungodly and you've lived a life of moral filth, but the grace of God has come into your life and he's forgiven you. That's what Jesus does. You've been saved by grace, but he says, I also want you to know that that same grace empowers you to say no, to go back. Are you with me? He, he said, the grace came on you so you don't have to drift. He, he exhorted them to remain faithful, to remain steadfast. Why would he do that? Because their culture, just like ours, was continuing to try to draw them back in. And just like me and you, 
if we're not careful, we'll use the term grace as something that covers us, that gives us the ability to flirt with our old selves. How many of you are married? How many of you are happily married? Keep your hands up. <laughs> I see you, Ted. Ted's jumping up back there. Now, how many of you would get upset that though your spouse said they were never going to leave you and they were never going to divorce you, but they flirted with other people? Why would you get upset? They still married. I mean, you're still a Christian because you get jealous because you made a covenant that they are yours and you are theirs. The same is true with God. Exodus 20 tells us that God is a jealous God. He wants us to himself. And what Barnabas is trying to encourage them to do is not to flirt with the culture that they came out of, he says, you got to remain steadfast. He says, you got to, you, you got to remain in this thing. He exhorted them to remain faithful with steadfast purpose. He's, he's re- encouraging them, don't flirt with the culture that you came out of. He's telling them, don't let these idols back in. Don't let these mindsets back in. Don't let that culture back in. Don't let these false gods back in. Don't give the enemy an inch. Just remain faithful and steadfast. Why? Because it's easy to drift sometimes. One of my favorite stories, I know I've said it here, but I'm going to say it again. I heard this old story back in the 70s. Old boy and his girl were driving down the road. Single cab truck. Bench seats. Y'all remember those? Yeah, vinyl. I mean, if you armor all those things, you just slid all the way to one side and slid back. You know what I'm talking about? Driving down a country road. Had his arm around a girl. She's sitting next to him, hip on hip. Listen to some good old 70s music. I don't even know. The Commodores. Brick house. Yeah, you go. Some time goes by. He kept the truck. 30 years later, he's still driving. She's done all the way over here next to the window. She looks at him all mad and says, what happened to us? I remember driving this road sitting on your hip. He looked at her and said, I didn't move. She drifted. You get my drift? Barnabas is simply telling his brothers and sisters, don't drift. Don't drift. Don't slide on that seat. Let me ask you something. Do you have somebody in your life who loves you enough to tell you don't drift? If you don't, you better find them. Because one day you may be on the other side of the truck saying, what in the heck happened? I I need somebody in my life to encourage me to keep going. 
I, I need people in my life to say, don't drift. I, I need people to help me to remain faithful, to, to stay steadfast. I'm just going to be real honest with you. There, there's days in ministry I get utterly hopeless. I have quit in my mind 500 times. I've said things in my mind, like, hey, it don't matter. They, they get another pastor up in there. They don't, they, they don't need me. I don't even think they like me. I don't even they're listening to me. I mean, I, I, it's how the enemy works. And you know what's happened in those moments? I had a moment like that two weeks ago. And you know what happened? They don't know this, but I'm about to tell them. Just having a normal, I think it was a Tuesday afternoon, and I see Dwayne and Suzette. I had one of those days. And Suzette came up to me, she says, I just feel like I've been needing to tell you for a long time, thank you. Thank you for preaching the unadulterated word. It's worth it. What was that? Encouragement? How was Barnabas saying, hey man, don't drift. Keep going. You got this. I, I capture screenshots, some, you know, I capture them sometimes of, of text messages, just encouraging words. Why? Because I need it. I need to remind myself. And that's true for me. I think it's also true for you. I'm closing. Vic, help me out. So when Luke says Barnabas was a good man, I think we can all see it now. And here in, in conclusion, what made him so good was simply the fact that he was selfless. Here it is. He wanted to build God's kingdom and build up others. That's it. That's all he wanted to do was build God's kingdom. And the way he did that, why? Was, was by building up others. Here's my question, O-Town. How different would St. Landry Parish be if we just laid everything else to the side and we just decided to build God's kingdom and build up people? How, how, how different would your home be if we just decided, I'm going to lay everything else aside, and I'm just going to build God's kingdom and build up people? I got one for you. How much different would your Facebook feed look if you just decided to build God's kingdom and build up people? It's a lot of work. It's selfless. I know that's what you're thinking. Like, man, that's, that's hard. It is hard. It's hard to be selfless. It's hard to have a sacrificial care for others. It's hard to use my gifts to build up other people, not myself. It's hard to encourage when I'm the one that needs encouragement. It's hard to see the grace in people's lives sometimes when I don't see it in myself. It's a lot of work. but it's worth it. Watch this. Not only is it going to bless them, it's going to bless you. This isn't, I'm not just making this up. This is scripture. Watch this. Proverbs eleven twenty five. A generous person will prosper. Watch this. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. 
One of the greatest ways to prosper and to be refreshed is just to become a Barnabas. To become an encourager. To speak life. To build others up. And y'all, that's what our community needs. I'll be real honest. For years, I've said I had two heroes in my faith. The Old Testament was David. I I love the, the fact of David would be confronted with the sin and then he would repent and he would say, search me, O God. Purge me with hyssop. I I love the fact that David was the first one to admit that he was a sinner and he would humble himself. I I, I love the the faithfulness of David and I love the boldness of Paul or Saul in the New Testament. I've always said that those are my two favorite guys. But, But after like really studying the life of Barnabas, I got somebody else in the running now, y'all. I want to be like Barnabas. I want to build the kingdom and build up others. I want to build the kingdom and build up others. And all I want to do today is ask you that same question. If that's you in this place, I want to pray for you in just a second. But if you would like to build the kingdom and build up others, would you just stand with me today? That's you. I just want to, I want to build the kingdom and build up others. Okay, it's going to cost you. Number one, it's a sacrificial care for everybody. Sacrificial. It's going to cost you. You're going to have to help somebody that you don't want to help. You're going to have to use your gifts not to build your kingdom, but God's kingdom. You're going to have to start looking at people through the eyes of grace. The eyes of grace. Not just like, why why they get there? What's up with them? No, no, no. You've got to look at the eyes of grace. Encouraging others in Christ. Come on, man. Don't drift. Don't drift on me. When we do that, we're going to build the kingdom and build others. I just want to encourage you this morning, and I want to bless you this morning, to find someone to encourage and bless. And I don't know how this works, but it's from my experience and from the word of God that if God uses you to refresh someone, that refreshing comes back to you so you can refresh someone. And that refreshing comes back to you so you can refresh someone. Not only does it refresh you, but it refreshes them so they can go and refresh someone. This thing is reciprocal. So Father, today, we're standing on our feet. It's a sign of action. that We're going to do something. God, make us in this dark hour In this culture that's not much different from Antioch, make us life givers. God, it's no coincidence that when the apostles in the church knew that they needed to send someone to this dark culture, that God, they didn't send a preacher. They sent a life giver. I pray tomorrow when we crack the doors of our office, when we sit in our cubicle, when we're in the grocery store, God, when we're so tempted because the checkout line is long, if we want to react, that we look at that young cashier, not through the eyes of condemnation or anger or bitterness or don't you know who I am, but God, we look it through the eyes of grace To say, God, you put me in this line for a reason and it's to speak life. 
That, Lord, the, the person that sits next to us in the cubicle that's always negative and nasty and has an attitude, God, it's so easy to run away and not talk to her and not talk to him and push him aside. But, God, I believe you put us in that cubicle for a reason. And it's not there to match negativity with them, but it's to match negativity with life, that we speak life over them. Let us be encouragers and speak life. And, Lord, your word declare for one year, when the encouragement of Barnabas met the word and the boldness of Peter, revival broke out. Let us be people of the word. But Lord, let our word not outrun our encouragement. In Jesus' name. And if you receive that, would you say amen one last time? Amen.